Now, most of you know what I'm about to say today when we talk about the second coming of Christ. I would venture to say that 85-plus percent of us really believe in our heart of hearts we are totally convinced that Jesus Christ is going to return as he promised he would. We believe that. It's a core belief. But I think what we often fail to live with is with a sense of urgency that that return could happen at any moment, at any second. You see, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where they talked a lot about the second coming of Christ early on when I was a kid, and churches don't talk about it much anymore. And I can remember as a kid thinking, Jesus is going to return any minute because the preachers and, and, and the teachers I got up to teach the Word of God really seemed to authentically believe that Jesus was coming at any moment. And, and I'm not going to tell you how many decades ago that was because I'll tell you how old I am, but that was a long time ago, and Jesus hasn't come since then. At least if he had, he forgot about me. And we're not going to go there. But if he forgot about me, he also forgot about you. And so we're in this boat together. And we have a tendency as time progresses and as time goes by that while we believe Christ is coming, we just don't think in our heart of hearts and in our minds that it's coming anytime soon. And because we sometimes think that we have plenty of time before Christ returns, we don't live with a sense of urgency. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus in Matthew 24 told his disciples that they must live their life with a sense of urgency as if Jesus would return at any moment and any second beginning then. That was Thousands of years ago, when he told his disciples, live with a sense of urgency as if I was returning tomorrow or today, and that was a long time ago, and we, like the disciples, need to hear Jesus tell us that Christ's return is imminent, it is close, it is near, and we must live with a sense of urgency. I wonder today, are you living with a sense of urgency? If Christ would return this very second, before we conclude this service, would you be, be, be found faithful living the life that Christ has called you to live and died so that you might live? To live our lives with the sins of urgency. How do we do that? Jesus gives us some insight in Matthew chapter 24. So let's take a look at the text in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 1 and 2. The first step, I think, that helps us understand how we can live life with a sense of urgency is that we need to prioritize the eternal. There needs to be a priority in our lives in which we are making the eternal things of God the priority of our lives, not the temporal or the temporary things that we often sometimes find ourselves spending so much time building. These are the temporary things that when Christ returns, they're going to go away. In John and John, in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 1, Jesus says in this passage to his disciples, as they're entering into this, this dialogue, there's an opportunity for Jesus now to take the time to help them, help his disciples understand how they must prioritize for the eternal. Notice in the text, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all of, all of these here, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown away. We saw last week for just a moment in our study of the end of Matthew chapter 24 when we talked about the return of Christ, that Jesus had just finished this ministry of preaching his message in the temple courts. It was the close of the day. He and his disciples were leaving the temple and they were making their way back to Bethany 
The few times Jesus did make it to Jerusalem, he often spent, if not most of the time, in Bethany when it came time to spend the night. So they were leaving for the burb of Bethany, leaving Jerusalem, and they were going out maybe the eastern gate, maybe they were walking alongside the wall. We're not quite sure exactly where they were when this dialogue took place, this exchange. But one of the disciples decided he would turn to Jesus and point out the extraordinary temple that had been built in the honor of God. Now, this temple was not just any temple. Some of the boulders, some of the, the square boulders that were used were carved out out of one-ton boulders. They were large boulders, some of them 40 feet high. They were just huge. And just to carve those out and to transport them there and to put them one on top of the other was a huge accomplishment. And as they built this incredible temple, it was built to impress. It was built, I think, to intimidate any foreign invaders to see what they had built to their God, how strong and how powerful their God was. And if you know anything about the temple, the temple had a little place inside of it where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. God in his presence dwelt in that holy of holies. And it was the place that they had dedicated to God. It was God's house. And there was an esteem, there was an estimation about this house that it was so grandiose and so magnificent that it was God's house and God's glory was to be reflected and revealed. It was built for him, by him, by his people to bring Israel back to the, to the claim that they had lost. And they, they looked to this temple for worship and for uh, self-worth and many things. And so to hear Jesus tell his disciples that this temple that you are adoring, this temple that you prize, this temple that you value will soon be destroyed. This was devastating to them. This was, this was no small thing to consider. I mean, this was God's house. And for Jesus, who represented God, whom they believed was the Messiah, to say, this place that you built for God will soon be destroyed. And it devastated them. It confused them. It brought them to a place of wondering, what in the world is this Messiah talking about? And, 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 and how can I understand what he has said? And what Jesus is saying to them, he's saying to us, what you value today when I return will have little if no value whatsoever. Even, even when it's been built to honor and to glorify God. This temple was a temporary residence of the Spirit of God. And of course, we all know what happened when Christ died on the cross. The veil was torn in two, and the Shekinah presence and the glory of God left the temple never to return. And the temple, 70 years from this prophecy, would be destroyed by the Roman invasion of Jerusalem. We sometimes spend our lifetime building these beautiful, I mean, look around. We build these beautiful buildings for the glory and for the worship of Jehovah God. Only to realize that these buildings that we built are temporary. They serve a purpose. They serve a purpose. They serve a purpose to worship, to glorify God. They serve a purpose in, for which we might be able to reach people and bring them into the worship of God and the discipleship of following Jesus. But when Christ returns, all that we value will change. Our priorities will change. And we need to make sure that we spend as much time as we possibly can investing in those priorities that are eternal, not just in the things that are temporary. 
this, this building, the reason why it has eternal value is because of those of us who are in here. Because when Christ returns, he's not going to take this building with him. It's going to remain here. But we, who are the valuable people of God, the ones he values, the one he died for, it is us who are the people who will, who will find who will find the rapture or the ascension or the return of Christ to be truly what we hope that it would be. And so we need to understand that it's people and our value of people and the value of what is eternal, not the things that are temporary. Buildings have a purpose, and things that we do have a purpose, but that purpose will change, and when it does, the priority of God will change. And so we must consider and sometimes even reconsider what we are valuing today. I mean, you may be building a business, and that's a good thing. You may be building a, a family, that's a good thing. You may be building a marriage. You may, you may be building a lot of things, a career. But is and should that be the priority of your life? Because I know what's going to happen when I get to heaven. I'm going to be unemployed. I am. You'll know everything, just like I right now know everything. Just kidding. That is not true. I, I'll be unemployed in heaven. And many, if not most of us, will be Even Mark, who celebrated his 50th birthday yesterday, will be unemployed in heaven. No, he's not quite 50, but uh, I think he's 40-something. Happy birthday, Mark. But even worship leaders will no longer be necessary in heaven. Why? Because the worship leader will be on the throne. And we'll see him face to face. And our priority will be to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and only him, led by him, unto him. So what about your priorities? Do they need to shift? Do they need to change? The second thing that I see that, that, that helps us live with a sense of urgency is not only to prioritize the eternal, eternal, but we need to pursue divine truth. We need to pursue divine truth. Because we see in the text in verse 3 that as the disciples are making their way to Bethany, along the journey, along the road to Bethany, is the familiar place called the Mount of Olives. And this is a familiar, it is a favorite place for Christ. Let's notice what happens there. We did kind of touch on it last week. Let's revisit this again in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. The disciples then wanted to know, Christ, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When is the end of the age going to come? I think that's not only a question that is asked then. I think it's a question that we ask now. It's a question that we're asking today. Some of us are not asking it, but many of us are. When is it going to happen? We're wanting to know that today. Because we're reading the signs and we're wondering, is it soon? Is it close? Is, is time running out? And I think when the future finally comes to fruition, there are going to be those in the end of the time when the end of the age actually does begin to transpire. They too are going to be looking for information. Where do we go for that information? Where do we go for the insight and the truth about the end of the age and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We must go to Christ himself. The disciples were curious. They wanted to know who did they seek out for that information? Jesus. 
The Bible says that there was a private meeting while they were on the Mount of Olives. They came and they rose to that mount and they sat there and Jesus sat there and they could see the temple down there. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem or not, but I've been there and you can see the temple from the Mount of Olives is there and you can see the probably some, some lanterns and some lights. It's really beautiful. And, and he's looking there and his disciples are looking there and there's a moment in which the disciples seize the opportunity and say, Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And what signs can we read that will tell us that the end of the age is coming? Help us know. Jesus, tell us. Where do we go today for that information? There are many today who are going to false prophets and false preachers and people who are telling those who would listen false information about the return of Christ. We must be very, very careful. We're going to see in a moment that false Christ will arise. They will come to, to power and they will proclaim things that are untrue. We must be very skeptical. We must very, be very um, insightful. We must be very discerning in these days in which we live because there are many false Christs who are rising up. Where do we go? Who do we read? Who do we listen to on the radio or the television? And, and, and if we're not careful, we will find ourselves like some of those, those, those I hate to use the word that I want to use, but they're, they're not quite very sensible people that, that their, their leader told them that Christ was coming. They sold everything they could. They got on a mountain somewhere and they all were dressed in white and they waited for Christ's return. And guess what? He didn't return. Because last week we said that the angels... Nor Jesus knows when the return is going to happen. How can we as man today know the exact moment, the exact time, and the exact place where Christ is going to return? We do know that as he ascended, he promised to return as he left. And we do know according to the book of Revelation that when he comes, all of us will know exactly when and where he is coming. But until that moment happens, only God the Father knows. So where should we go for information in regard to discerning the times, reading the signs, and understanding what's happening in our, in our lives today, in our culture today, and around the world today? I don't know about you, but there's a lot going on in the world today that makes me want to think that Christ is coming soon. Where do we go for the information? Where do we go for the truth? We go to God and we go to God's Word. And God gave you his Holy Spirit, and you can read the Bible yourself and the discerning Spirit of God. And as you discern the Scriptures, as the Spirit gives you insight into the Scriptures, you, through the leadership and guidance from the Spirit, going to the Word, seeking God's face and his will, you can know. So pursue divine truth and be very discerning about that truth that you hear from others during the end of times. These are urgent times, I'm convinced. And if we are to prepare for the return of Christ, we must pursue not man's truth, but divine truth. The Bible, the inerrant, the infallible word of God. We have a Gideon that's going to come in a little bit. I was with the Gideon banquet on Friday night. I appreciate what you guys do. If you're a Gideon in our church right now, would you stand? You represent Gideons. I'm going to take this time to do that. If you're a Gideon in our church... Come on, we have, I think we have a few more than that. We have some that are out there in the foyer. Can, can we give them a round of applause and show our appreciation to them and their love for the scriptures? Thank you, guys. They, they are dedicated. If you'd like to be a part of them, they need some younger guys, right? Younger than me. Because when I went to the banquet the other night, most everybody in there had gray hair like I have. But uh, they are dedicated to putting the word of God into the hands of millions and millions of people across the globe. 
But it's more than just the word of God. Inside of that word is the gospel of Christ that helps them understand that through personal faith in Jesus, they can come to faith in him. They can receive through the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit, his spirit opening his word, and they can seek divine truth for themselves. And it's amazing to me how people just open the Bible, read the scriptures, and are saved. We need divine truth in our day and time today. Seek, pursue, be on a quest for the truth that comes from God. Number three, not only prioritize the eternal and pursue divine truth, but we need to prepare. We need to prepare for birth pains. We need to prepare for the birth pains. How many of you have lived with a pregnant woman before? Raise your hand. Come on, guys. You've lived with pregnancy. Don't be bashful. How many of you ladies have, been ex- have expected So when I say birth pains, you don't have a problem understanding the word pain. Amen, ladies? Us men do not understand pain. I'm convinced that if men had to give birth, we'd have far few children, or fewer children. Right, ladies? Right, ladies? That's what a lot of it coming from over here. We need to prepare for the birth pains. And he says to us in verse 8, Jesus, in his words, said, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, Jesus is about to lay out some signs, and it helps us understand as we look at the three signs that he's about to describe that help us understand, and so we might be able to discern what the times are reading, that it's kind of like birth pains. I don't know about you, but I can, you know, it, it's kind of dangerous to, to say to a lady when she's early in her pregnancy, are you, or to ask, are you pregnant? It's dangerous, isn't it? But when they're out here like that, it, it's pretty safe, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, you're kind of still reluctant, I get it. But, I mean, when it's like this, and her feet are like that, it's pretty close to say, hey, it's close. And if you know anything about uh, what happens up to the delivery. There are sometimes things that happen in, um, in pains and in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, contractions that help you understand that the time is coming near. But how many of you have had false contractions? You, you thought you were and you ran and they said they sent you back home. You know what I'm talking about? And so what Jesus is saying here is these are the contractions. These are the the things, the signs that you can sense. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to know that in nine months or so, you're going to have this child. I was born in seven months, which explains a lot. I was supposed to be small and frail and weak, and I'm not a little guy. I'm a a big guy. But but most pregnancies go to nine months somewhere, and and it's safe to know that around nine months, you can know and you can tell when the birth pains begin that that something is going to happen. But those birth pains that take place aren't really the birth pains that are going to happen when you're in the birthing room. Now, ladies today do epidurals. But if your epidural has ever not worked, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know the pain of giving birth. Now in Jesus' day, when he's talking to these people, there was no epidural. None. And they understood what birth pains were about. And here he says to his disciples, all these 
are but the beginning of the birth pains. What I'm about to describe to you is the beginning of the birth pains. They are the initiation of what is about to come. And there are three things. Verse 4 and 5, he says, number one, the first birth pain is naive people. Notice he says, and Jesus answered him, see no one lead you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. They are rising up and saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And these naive people somehow are convinced that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and he can provide and meet their need. We have that going on right now. We have tens of thousands of people going to hear Bernie Sanders speak in an unprecedented way. Why? Because he is the man, he is the politician that's going to give them what they believe they need. I've never seen so many people going to so many large rallies. Donald Trump is the same. Tens of thousands of people, they are looking to him to be the solution to their need. We are at a precipitous time, I believe, that is going to continue to grow where man is going to now look for man to solve his need and the Antichrist is going to rise up and say, I am he. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. We're in unprecedented times. I remember when they had President Obama's coronation, if you remember that. Now, I'm not a politician, and I don't talk politics, but I was literally afraid when Obama stood up in those Roman columns, and they crowned him as the king. Many called him the Messiah. Many painted him as the Messiah. These are Supposedly smart people looking to a politician to be the answer and the solution to their need. And we are on dangerous ground today in a culture of naive people who somehow believe that there is a man out there somewhere who could rise up and who could be our savior. These are naive people. These are birth pains. Number two, notice national conflicts. As you look at the next verse, in verse 6 and verse 7, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that no one, see that you are not alarmed, for this will take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Do I need to explain to you how many conflicts we'll go have in the, in the world right now? Do, do I need to explain to you? Do, are, are you not watching uh, the news? I don't care if it's CNN or Fox or, or MSNBC, it doesn't really matter. There are conflicts right now all over the globe. And there are rumors of more conflicts. And it says here that there are wars and rumors of war. And that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against nation. And, and kingdom against kingdom. I mean, we need to understand that, that, that there will be national conflicts when Christ returns. And it will create a panic and right now, what is driving the political arena in the United States of America is a panic about conflicts to come. We are afraid of ISIS or Al-Qaeda. We're literally afraid, and we're, we're voting based upon that fear. But I want you to notice that Jesus says, he says here, see that you are not alarmed. 
He's talking to his disciples. See to it that you are not alarmed. Why shouldn't we be alarmed that there are wars and rumors of war? Because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our God is sitting sovereign on the throne. He reigns and he rules. And this is only the beginning of what is to come. And we don't have to fear what's going to come because we know that God is sitting on the throne. We are his. We are secure. We are safe. And we are at peace because God is our God. Jesus is our Savior. And it doesn't matter what happens to us in this world. And we need to understand that there are, there are national conflicts that are going to be happening that are going to precipitate the return of Christ. But not only that, there are natural disasters that are also going to hap- happen. If you look at the last part of verse 7, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Famines and earthquakes in various places. There's going to be a shortage of food. I don't know how many of you, well, I'm not going to ask that, Mike, because I'm not teaching Revelation, but we had an unprecedented amount of people that went through three semesters of verse by verse through the book of Revelation, the Revelation according to John, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and we talked about the seals that Christ breaks and the judgments are unleashed upon the earth, and this is reference to the seals, and there are large famines because there is a shortage of food. And not only is there a shortage of food, but there are earthquakes. And I don't know about you, but I felt the earthquake a couple of weeks ago in Wichita, Kansas. Did you know we were on a fault line right here? Did you know that? If you don't, you need to know that. And for the first time, a picture fell off of our wall and fell onto the floor. It broke. I thought a a thief was coming to our house, and and I was ready to grab the gun and, and go find out who it was. And then I couldn't find anyone, and then I finally turned on some lights and realized a picture had fallen off and the glass had broken. And uh, earthquakes, devastation everywhere. Catastrophic things, tsunamis happening because of these earthquakes. And incredible disasters going on and, and people dying in mass before the return of Christ. But he says to us, these are only birth pains. It's only the beginning. It's like a woman in pregnancy. When you start to experience those contractions before birth, that's only a small portion of what is about to come. And there is no epidural for that. And so he says we need to prepare for the birth pains. And I wonder, church, today, are we and should we prepare for these birth pains? Are they happening right now? Number four. Prioritize the eternal, pursue divine truth, prepare for birth pains. Number four, we need to persist in faith. We need to persist in faith. Jesus is giving his disciples some very clear instruction. He said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Isn't it great to know that our sovereign God who reigns and who rules on the throne, in spite of what goes on in this life and on this planet and in our culture and in our politics, that he's reigning and ruling on the throne. And those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, our eternal destinies are secure. And we will endure to the end because our faith is in Jesus and our hope is in the Father. And the one, that is the one, not the many, but the one. Notice it is an individual faith that wins the battle. You can't, you can't endure to the end on your mom and dad's faith. You can't endure to the end on, on my faith. You've got to endure on your own personal faith. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And he then lays out some really 
really dynamics about what's going to happen to those of us who are saved. Because you see, the birth pains, the early ones were just the beginning. Now we as the church, we as Christians, are going to have to deal with even some more signs. What are those signs? Look at verse 9. That sign says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus describes here some devastating persecutions that are going to come to believers. You are going to be persecuted for your faith. You say, wait a minute, I live in the United States of America, and I'm going to tell you, so what? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Persecutions are coming to the United States of America because we profess faith in Christ. We live in a government today who does not and will not recognize the genocide of Christians all over the world and defends the Muslim faith more than he does the Christian faith. And it's a culture that I believe is, is a precedent of more to come. We have more people right now dying for their faith in Jesus than in any time in the history of the church. You know, we often have a tendency to think that death is something that we read about in the New Testament or is something that happened to the early church back, you know, in, the, in, the 70, in, the, in 70 AD and the persecution of Jerusalem and all that and Nero and all that. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's more people right now dying because of their faith in Christ than in any other time in the history of the church. Right now. We're insulated and isolated from that right here in the United States of America, but I'm convinced it won't be long. People are being beheaded. Women and children are being hung on crosses and raped and murdered. It is unprecedented, the genocide. And finally, the United States of America, finally, our, our defense minister said, there is genocide against Christians in our world today. And it says, they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And if you wear the name Christian, if Christ is in your heart, and you claim to be a Christ follower, if you claim to be a Christian, you will be delivered to persecution. You will be condemned, and I'm convinced you will be put to death at some point if you live long enough. Because I'm convinced persecution is going to come. Number two, you notice in verse 10, dishonest disciples will fall away. Verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. These are the, uh, these are the Christians, the, the, the ones who profess to be Christians. They are the ones that, that profess without conversion. They profess without true conviction. They, they profess without any courage. They, they, they sign up to this life that's been promised them. Are you ready for this? They sign up for the health, wealth, prosperity thing. If you receive Jesus, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be prosperous, you'll have joy, you'll have love, you'll have peace, and all they do is sell these, these mass of humanity and all the benefits of what it means to be, be Christ followers. They never talk about the cross or dying to self or hardship or trial. And when these moments come and Christ is before he comes, there's going to be a time in which they're going to start arresting Christians and many are going to be put on trial. And when they're being pressured for their faith, they're going to say, no, 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 no. I wasn't really a Christ follower. I, I just, I, I profess to be, but this was not what I signed up for. And they're going to fall away. Not from Christ, but from their profession. You see, they were not authentic believers. 
And I'm convinced in this room and in many rooms like this across the United States today and the world, there are many who profess Christ, but when hardship and difficulty comes, when it comes time for you to lay your life on the line, deny Christ or die, how many of you will deny Christ? There are many right now who are dying who will not deny their faith in Christ. I learned and read this week that there are men right now who are being, who are being captured, them and their families, and they will take their children and they will slaughter and murder their children in front of the father and say, deny Christ or your child will die. And then they go all through the children and the last one is the wife. And then they kill the, the father. And these people right now are choosing death over denying Christ. Why? Because Jesus said, unless we're willing to take up our cross and follow him, we're not truly his disciples. You see, it's easy for us in the U.S. to be Christians, isn't it? I mean, the little we give up is what? Mostly nothing. But there will come a time where we will be asked to take up our cross and follow him. We'll choose death or life. And, 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 and in all honesty, I, I, can, I can see where the, we have this will within us to live. If you've ever watched, I was a lifeguard once, and I watched a, a little boy jump in, and he went straight to the bottom, and he's down there trying to, trying to he, he wanted to live, he didn't want to die, and I dived in and brought him up. There's something innate within us, we have a desire to want to live. But that desire to want to live, that natural desire to want to live, supersedes our commitment to Christ. There's something seriously wrong about our profession to be Christ followers. Verse 11 talks about deceptive preachers. And many false preachers will rise and lead many astray. Many false preachers will arise. How many is many? An undesignated amount. There will be many false prophets and preachers and proclaimers. of, And, and these false preachers and proclaimers, these teachers are deceiving people. They are intentionally preaching lies that are deceptive in order to wean people away from their commitment to Christ. And many will buy into their lies and they will stray from the faith. Why? They're silver tongue, slick, politically motivating. I mean, you got to be careful. It's not all in the packaging. That's obvious. Just take a look at me. We need to be really, really careful. False teachers are rising even today. And they are preaching a false gospel that's leading many astray. And then lastly, notice verse 12. I call this a depraved church. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There's a depraved church. Now, I believe this verse does talk about our culture. But I think it also talks about the church. And the reason why I don't want to highlight the culture is because the culture acts as the culture is supposed to act. A person without Christ is going to be lawless. A person without Christ will, will follow whatever is there. And their love for God and their love for each other, which is already dead, is not going to be right. And so it, it's, it's easy for us to say this is speaking to the culture. But I believe it also speaks to the church where Jesus is saying that in the last days, there's going to be a depraved church. There's going to be a church that is lawless. A church that calls wrong right. A church that seeks to live for itself rather than living in the spirit of Christ. A church that would rather do what is right in their own eyes rather than a church that is right in the eyes of God. We have that church today. 
A church that is calling sin right. A church that is calling lawlessness purity. And we need to understand that we, in this culture, in this society that we live in, as a church, must remain pure to what God said and seek to fulfill that which is right in his eyes and not that which is right in our own eyes. The apostate church. But lastly, if we persist in the faith, and that's what he's saying, we need to persist in our faith. Don't compromise. Don't navigate. Don't negotiate. We must then finally proclaim the gospel. To live with a sense of urgency, we've got to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is paramount. I mean, the scripture is very clear, verse 14. Jesus, in his word, says, And this gospel of the kingdom, this is the third time in the book of Matthew he mentions the gospel, by the way, will be proclaimed. That word proclaim is an interesting word. It means that we have been given a message, and we are to go and to declare that message, that, that, that the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout where the whole world as a testimony. Some of you in life group have been writing and sharing your testimony. Your testimony is about the goodness of God through faith in the gospel of Jesus and how that testimony now impacts those around you. And that testimony is to be shared to who? All the nations. And notice what it said, and then the end will come. When is the end going to come? When is the end going to come? When the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world to all the nations. You want Christ to come back? Let's get the gospel out to the world. Because when the gospel goes out to all of the world, Christ will return. That's the urgency of the gospel message that he's entrusted to us as his messengers. My primary purpose in life is to not only live out my testimony in my day-to-day life with those that I live with, but it's to make sure that the gospel seed of Christ goes out in power and in great force to the world. We have been called to take the gospel to the world, not just to this neighborhood or just to this city or this state or this country, but the world to proclaim the gospel. And I wonder how many of us are silent with our testimony. You have a testimony. If you, at one point in your life, was destined to hell, and God came to you through the Spirit of God and revealed to you your sinfulness, your lostness, your depravity, your destiny, and then helped you realize that Jesus Christ was the one who died on the cross for your sin, and then he rose within you to give you the faith, to put faith in Jesus, and you turned from that life of sin and turned to him and placed your faith and trust in him as your Savior and committed to him the leadership and lordship of your life, you were born again, you received the new nature with a new heart and a new mind and a new destiny, and now in the Spirit of Christ you are living out the life that God has called you to live, not in your strength, but in his strength. If you have that testimony, there are people that you know right now that are waiting for you to tell them about the life transformational truth of the gospel in your life. You have a testimony, and you must share it, because each and every time you share it, you know what you're doing? You're bringing the, the return of Christ closer. We, we studied in Revelation, uh, some of you remember, there, there's a time and a moment when there's the last person, there is one person, the last person that places their faith and trust in Christ because of someone's testimony, there's that last person. And when that last person places their faith and trust in Jesus, Christ is going to return. There's one person that the moment they pray to receive Christ, he's coming. 
I wonder if that last person is someone you know. And he's waiting on you to tell them, and until you tell them, he can't return. You know what I want to tell you? Would you please tell them about Jesus? Because I'm ready to go home. I'm done. And you may know that one person. That person is not always someone in, in a jungle in Africa. They might live right here in the burbs of, of Wichita or, or in this community and in this city. And you might sit next to the pot in them in a, in a workplace. And Christ is waiting for you to share your testimony. I have this interesting app. I know, I know some of you don't do watches anymore. Some of you younger guys. Old people like myself or old school people. Take a look at your watch. Go ahead, just take a look at your watch. If you have an iPhone and you have something that moves on it, like I have right here, would you take that out? Take that out. And I want you to look at it for a minute. Just look at it for a minute. What's happening? Seconds are going by. Seconds are going by, aren't they? Did you know that time is your most precious commodity? Because once you lose your time, you never get it back. You can make more money, but you can't ever get more time. Once time is gone, it's gone. And we need to make sure that we live our lives with a sense of urgency. Because the time that we're living right now is of such value. It is a commodity that if we don't live it rightly, if we don't live it with a sense of urgency, we'll never get it back. And one of these days, the trumpet of God is going to blow, and the dead in Christ will rise. And those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we will be forever with the Lord. When is that moment going to happen? It could be before this service is over. It could be on your way home to lunch somewhere. It could be this evening as you're laying your head on your pillow tonight. That last person prayed to receive Christ, and it's time. Now, I'm not telling you that these things we read in, in Matthew 24 haven't already happened in history. And, and I, we could argue that. I know Mike's probably thinking about that. Some of you are. Acts 1.8 has been fulfilled. But let me tell you something about prophecy. If you study history and prophecy, there are prophecies like in Isaiah and Daniel have more than one historical context. They do. The prophecy about Isaiah and the prophecy of the virgin birth not only happened then, but it happened when Jesus was born. Prophecy is historical in that it happens more than one. I'm here to tell you that this passage in Matthew 24 happened in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and the gospel went out. But I'm also, I'm also a firm believer that what we read today is going to happen sometime soon. It's going to happen again. History will repeat itself. And then Christ will return. And the question is, are we as individuals and we as a church living our lives with a sense of urgency? Here's the final question and we'll close. Am I living my life with a sense of urgency? Let's pray.
Bien, damos gracias a Dios en esta mañana. We thank God in this, this morning. Porque hoy uh, today, cuatro hermanos van a obedecer al Señor a través del bautismo. Así que muchas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Hermana Reina, uh, uh, Sister Reina. Uh, confiesa públicamente que usted ha aceptado a Jesús en su corazón. Con la autoridad que Jesús me ha conferido y con la autoridad de la Iglesia de Manuel, Uh, yo bautizo a, a Reina, I Reina en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Hermano Mario, Brother Mario, confiesa públicamente que ha aceptado a Jesús en su corazón. Muy bien, de acuerdo a la confesión que él ha hecho All right. y con la autoridad que, que Jesús nos ha conferido with the authority that Christ has given to me, y con la autoridad de la Iglesia Emanuel, uh, yo bautizo a Mario en el nombre del Padre del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. ¿Confiesas públicamente que has aceptado a Jesús en tu corazón? Muy bien, con, con la confesión que él ha, él ha hecho y con la autoridad de Jesús. Y con la autoridad de la iglesia Emanuel. Uh, yo le bautizo en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo.
en el nombre del 